Perception is reality. Perception is reality. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about the love at first sight encounter that, that I experienced when I met my wife for the first time. Remember the, the crisp fall night, the crackling fire, the guitar, the, the beautiful face rivaled only by the beautiful voice and the biblical wisdom? That, of course, was my perspective of her, Kathy, the woman I was going to marry. Kathy's perception of me was quite different. (laughs) I returned to college two days after I met her for the first time, which was two hours away. And months went by before I had an opportunity to see her again. But I did that. We were at the same event. I spotted Kathy there. And after the event, with heart racing, I made my way toward her and the group of friends with whom she was chatting. I just wanted to say hi. So I went up and I said hi to Kathy. But no flicker of recognition crossed her face. And I know, because I was looking for it, she simply said hi and continued with her conversation. I had not rocked her world that first meeting. My perception that one day we would be married was not Kathy's reality. Eventually, I moved back to the same town where Kathy was, and we began to date. So one night we had that dreaded DTR talk, define the relationship. And the longer that conversation went on, the more I could see that this was going to also be that dreaded let's just be friends speech. That was my perception, so I quickly wound up the conversation. I didn't want any more friends. I didn't need any more friends. We weren't going to be friends. Kathy, as I later found out, had a quite different perception of that conversation. She, in fact, went to bed that night thinking she'd been much too bold in saying how much she liked me and how much she didn't want to mess it up by dating. Of course, my perception was the correct one. Good, you're with me. It's for another time and another story to tell how God intervened and worked in our misperceptions and used two friends and jazzercise and a blizzard from Dairy Queen to get us together. (laughs) We, We have to be careful. We have to be very, very careful with our perceptions. Two people can be in the same place and see the same things, but can reach drastically different conclusions. And damaging consequences can result if any of us believe too firmly that our perception is reality. As believers in Christ, you you and I, we are called to get outside of ourselves, beyond our own perceptions, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes. But most of all, most of all, informed by the truth of scripture about who God is and what's on his heart, we have to constantly be asking for God's perception, for his perspective, for his reality. If you and I are ever going to be the blessing that God intends us to be in this place for Jesus' sake. And that's what I want us to consider this morning as we come to Deuteronomy chapter 23. So if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 23. 
If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in the pew in front of you. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand so we can hear read together the word of the living God. We'll begin in chapter 23, verse 19. This is the word of the Lord. Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that he may, that may earn interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but not a brother Israelite, so that the Lord your God may bless you and everything you put your hand to in the land you are entering to possess. Now verse 24. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all of the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. Now chapter 24, verse 6. Do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one, as security for a debt, because that would be taking a man's livelihood as security. And now verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into his his house to get what he is offering as a pledge. Stay outside and let the man to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may sleep in it. Then he will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. And now verse 19, when you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness to us, your faithfulness and being a God who speaks to his people. Thank you for your faithfulness and preserving your spoken word for us through these thousands of years so that you, the unchanging God, can continue to speak to us, your people, your truth, so that we can be the people that you have called us to be and do the things in this world that you call your people to do. So we ask you now to teach us this morning from your truth so that we may be those people and do those things for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our perception of God isn't always God's reality. We perceive him wrongly often in our lives, and then we act according to our misperception of God. So last week, when we looked at the same passage, it really set the stage for all that we're going to talk about this week, because it oriented our perception in the right direction. If you were here last week, You know, we talked about the aseity of God. Please tell me you remember the aseity of God. Anybody remember the aseity of God? Simply defined, it just means that God is complete in and of himself. God is complete 
in and of himself. And we read from the Westminster Confession, chapter 2. God has all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in, any, in need of any creatures which he has made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. We also heard God's voice speak to us, Psalm 50, when he says, For the world is mine and all it contains. Acts 17. God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. I'll add one more new quote this week, and this is from A.W. Tozer. In his famous little classic book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he writes this. Almighty God, just because he is almighty, needs no support. So lofty is our opinion of ourselves that we find it quite easy to believe that we are necessary to God. But the truth is that God is not greater for our being, nor would he be less if we did not exist. That we do exist is altogether of God's free determination, not by our desert nor by divine necessity. I just wanted to repeat those truths for all of us to hear this morning. Because it's only when we rightly perceive God that we can rightly perceive ourselves as those who are created in the image of God. It's only when we rightly perceive God that we can rightly perceive all that we have as gifts from God on loan to us. And it's only when we rightly perceive all that we have that we do what is right with what we have. These two chapters in Deuteronomy, chapters 23 and and, and 24, there are three perceptions that that, that characterize these chapters. The first perception is God's, and it's the only true one. God's perception is always reality, no doubt about it. The second perception in these two chapters is of those who have plenty. And from their perspective, position of plenty, from their perception of plenty, their perception of God and of those around them may not be reality. And so God has to adjust that perception. The third perception is of those who have need. And from their position of need and lack, they might not perceive God correctly or those around them. And so they as well need God's truth to adjust that perception. So let's look first at this perception of those who have what they need. Look with me in verse 19. God says there, Do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. See, the ones that God addresses here in this verse, they are the people who have enough. They have plenty. All the money they need, all the food they need, all the stuff they need, they have to provide for themselves and for their families and Additionally, they have extra. They have leftover. God has worked in their lives in such a way so that they have what they have. 
Perhaps God has given them a, a, a good land and a strong body and a strong mind and business savvy and a large family and rain when they needed rain and sunshine when they did not in the right proportion to bless everything with and give them what they needed and more. I don't mean to suggest that people don't work hard, that you don't work hard for what you have. But we are simply using the, the raw materials that God gives to us. Just as his people in ancient Israel did. And as believers, we can't attribute that the opportunities that God gives to us as just chance. Well, I happen to be in the right place at the right time. Who put you there? Well, you know, opportunity came knocking. It was my big break. You know, those things happen to you and for you by God's ordination. So how are God's people, you and me included, to perceive the extra that God allows us to have? The people in ancient Israel, their bounty, our bounty today, might be, should be, someone else's blessing. According to the context of of these verses, the extra that God's people have is potential provision for someone who is in need. The assumption here that God is making is that his people will loan the money they have to those in need. So he says, when you loan that money, do not charge your brother interest, whether on money or food or anything else that may earn interest. And so this is one of those practical moments in life. Where there's a clash, a big clash, between what we can do and what we should do. Boom. Charging interest is something that you can do. It isn't a shameful thing like prostitution that we talked about last week or adultery. If you were to charge someone interest, no one would make you wear a scarlet eye. <gasps> you interest charger. You wouldn't be shunned. No one would whisper behind your back. They wouldn't judge you for it. It's the way the the world works. But the point is not what you can do. The point is what you should do. Before you stands a brother or a sister in need. What should you do for the person in need? God says clearly here, loan them the money they need. Do not charge interest. Because you may not profit, you may not profit from the suffering of another human being. Now that might seem a difficult pill for us to swallow. God asking us to do this. God not allowing us to do what we could do. God asking us to to forfeit money that should justifiably be ours. Well, what's going to make that pill go down a little easier? Not a spoonful of sugar, but a good dose of God's truth and God's perspective, perceiving yourself correctly. Why do you have what you have? In what ways has God blessed you? And what was his motivation for giving and for blessing? Why did God deliver the Israelites from the slavery in Egypt. Why? Why did he give them a land flowing with milk and honey? Why? Why did he allow them 
to move into houses that they did not build and to enjoy vineyards that they did not plant or tend. Why? Or fast forward. Why did God leave heaven and come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ? Why? Why did he give his life on the cross for yours? Because his people, because you and I, all of us together are in great need. We're people of need. Jesus' mother, Mary, when she was carrying Jesus, sang it beautifully in her song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And contextually, what Mary is saying there is, Lord, you have paid attention. You've looked. You've taken note. And in pity, you have acted on behalf of me, on behalf of all of us, people who are in great need. That's what Jesus has done. Jesus took note of how needy you are. He took note of how needy I am. He took note of how needy all people are. And he pitied us. And he acted in our behalf to eliminate and alleviate that need. That's what he has done for us. The Apostle Paul, in one succinct verse, encapsulates how we should view our lives in their entirety, all of our life. 1 Corinthians 4. What do you have that God hasn't given you? We all need to answer that. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? See, when we perceive ourselves rightly and when we perceive ourselves biblically, when we perceive ourselves as God perceives us, then acting for the benefit of someone else, foregoing gain for ourselves isn't as difficult to do. When we have a proper biblical perception of ourselves, needy ones for whom God has given everything, then... At that point, you and I are ready to begin to try to look at others from their perspective. And as we do that, we'll begin to make the difference in this world that God has called us to make for Jesus' sake. Now look down in in verse 6 of chapter 24. Because God is continuing to move his people and push his people toward his reality, to, to, to press his people, to deal with their hearts. So here you go. Perhaps you have decided, all right, I'm going to swallow this bitter pill and I'm going to loan what I have and I'm not going to charge interest. I'm not going to receive anything for myself. Well, that's good, but that's just the beginning. If you make a loan to a person, it's also reasonable to ask for some collateral. Okay, you're not charging interest, but but you can ask for some collateral, you know, something for them to give you, just in case they default, you won't be left with nothing. The question is, should you? Should you ask someone for collateral for the loan? Left to our own, you and I don't always or often do what is right. And so God legislates, God legislates in these verses compassion in his people until compassion is formed in them and compassion becomes muscle memory. Look in in verse 6. 
Do not take a pair of millstones, not even the upper one, as security for a debt, because that would be taking a man's livelihood as security. Look, if someone has so little, if someone has so little, nothing to give as security except their millstones, you may not take them, not even one of them, because you're taking their livelihood. Every home had millstones. And every morning, grain was ground between those millstones to make flour for bread. So literally, you take someone's millstones, you're taking away from them their daily bread. God says, no. Be generous. Be compassionate. Be generous. Be compassionate. Don't take their millstone just because you can. Now, keep moving. Look in verse 12. If the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may sleep in it. See, for the very, very poor, their cloak also doubled as their blanket. It's what kept them warm at night. And nights can get chilly in the Middle East. There are drastic temperature changes. God says, don't do it. Give the poor man his blanket so that he will be warm, so that he'll sleep well and be able to work then to repay what he owes you. So again... Another bitter pill to swallow. You loan your money to someone else. You can't charge interest. And you can't keep anything for yourself just in case they default on the loan. So you could lose it all. But once again, this pill goes down a lot easier when we look at it from the Lord's perspective. What security Did the Lord require of you? When the Lord came to you, did he ask you this question? What will you give me in exchange for the life that I am going to give you? Did he ask you that question? No. The Lord asked for no security for any of us. The Lord asked simply for faith. That's all he required. Freely, freely. The Lord has given to us. He requires no security deposit from us because guess what? Our lives are not on loan from the Lord. By faith, the life that Jesus gives to us, it's ours to keep. He's not going to take it back. If we default on the loan, it's ours as a free gift of God through faith in Christ. No collateral required. So you and I can give. We can loan with no security deposit required. Because we perceive ourselves rightly. We perceive ourselves as those who have been blessed by God. And so we have compassion on others. In the same way. Look in verse 14. God is going to get this point across. Look in verse 14. He says, in the same way, don't take advantage of the hired man who is poor and needy. Pay him his wages each day. Enter into the reality of another person. You may be able to go a day or a week or a month or two months without being paid because you have enough saved up. But that's not the reality for some people, maybe for many people. If you don't pay them every day, they have no money to buy food for themselves or their families. So be thoughtful. Do the hard work. Consider what life is like for people who are different from you. Look in verse 19. 
God continues to push his people toward generosity and compassion by requiring them to be generous with their fields and their vineyards. When you're harvesting and you overlook a sheaf, a bundle of grain, don't go back and get it. Just leave it there for the alien and for the fatherless and for the widow. When you're picking your grapes or your olives, you know, don't beat the olive branches to get every single last olive off. Or don't go back and pick every single grape off of the vine. Leave some there for the alien, for the fatherless, and for the widow. You know how copper wire was invented, don't you? Copper wire? You know how it was invented? Two Presbyterians were fighting over the same penny. So God's saying, don't, don't do that here. Don't, don't wring out every last bit as much as you can for yourself. Leave some for others. See God's blessing on you as a way to bless others. Welcome, welcome the needy into your field to be provided for by the abundance that God has given you. Don't make them sneak in. Don't make them look over the shoulder to see if they're going to be caught. No, welcome, welcome the person. Be generous. Relieve their conscience. It's okay. You're not breaking the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Here it is. It's yours to take. Well, we're not finished. (laughs) You wish we were. We're not. God continues to press. He continues to go after the heart of his people. So it isn't enough for us to be at the point where we acknowledge that God is the source of everything we have, that it all belongs to him. It isn't enough when we've been moved in our hearts to loan somebody, to give someone a loan without charging an interest. It isn't enough when we also make the loan with no security deposit. God requires more. God requires more. And here's what he requires. It isn't only what we give. It's how we give it. Now look in verse 10 of chapter 24. God says, when you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor... Do not go into his house to get what he is offering as a pledge. Stay outside and let the man to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. God also requires that when we give, that we check our attitude. And that when we give, we consider the dignity of the person to whom we are giving. Don't humiliate them. Don't go into their house and start picking through their things. Mm, You know, looking for something that you might take for yourself is collateral. Don't do it. If they're extremely poor, they'll be so humiliated that a person like you would come into their home and, and witness for yourself how poor they are and how little they have and how shamed they would be if you came to their house and you found nothing inside that you could take as collateral for the loan. So God says, no, stay outside. Stay outside their home. If that poor person has a pledge at all to offer as security, let them bring it out to you. Honor them. Give them the dignity they deserve as those created in the image of God. Well, it is only those, it is not only those who have that God addresses here. We spent most of our time this morning on that perspective because 
in reality, that's where most of us in this room are. We, we're people, most of us, who have everything we need. But God, God also addresses those in these chapters who are needy themselves, and he orients their perception as well. This is back up in chapter 23, verses 20 and verse 24. If you enter your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. Pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. So here's a perception for the poor. You can't take advantage. You cannot take advantage of those who have worked really hard for what they have. Please imagine. You wheel your wheelbarrow up and just start filling it up with grapes. Or you take a sickle and you start mowing down all their grain and you bundle up and you carry it off for yourselves. No. God says don't do that. Just alleviate your immediate need. It's not only the rich or those who have a lot that can be guilty of having the wrong perspective. The poor can as well. You know, they can turn those who have into the man. Oh, the man, you know, the man keeps me down. The man oppresses me. Or there can be among them a a sense of entitlement. Oh, I deserve this because life has been hard on me. No, God says here, the poor may not take advantage of those who have. God will not allow it. Now, I'm going to close. That's the good news. I'm going to close this morning by drawing our attention to the potentiality that's addressed in these verses. Moses is preaching, as you know, by this point, to people who have gathered on the plains of Moab. They're ready to enter into the promised land, but they have not yet entered. And so what Moses describes here is not yet, but it will be. And that reminds me and should remind you this morning that we all have to plan ahead. We have to plan ahead for what we will do. You and I have to have the right perspective ahead of time. And if you and I have the right perspective and the right practices ahead of time, when you don't have, then you will most likely have the right perspective and the right practice when you have all you need and more. That most famous of all widows gave her two mites, two copper coins that together equaled one penny. She put it in the offering box. She didn't hold on to that penny in hopes of turning the one penny into two and then giving one, or turn the two into three and then give one, or the four or the three into four, and then give one all the way up to ten. She could have held on to that coin and turned it into ten and still just given one, and guess what? That would have been ten percent, right? All that she was required. But she didn't wait. She gave to Jesus when she was poor. And in her poverty, she gave all that she had. That's what Jesus said of her. And so God tells us people, He tells us ahead of time what to do so that when the time comes, the spiritual muscle memory will kick in and we'll do what God asks us to do, requires us to do, to be generous people and to be people of compassion. What he calls in verse 13, 
righteous acts in the sight of the Lord your God. Don't put off right acting and don't put off right perceiving to the future. We make heroes of ourselves in our own minds, don't we? Am I alone in this? Oh, I know what I'm going to do someday. Oh, and I'm, I'm just so noble. Someday in the future, I, I'm going to be a hero. I'm going to do this or that when I have this or that. And so we're always looking to that future hero inside of us and we squander the moment at hand. If you keep delaying living right, if you keep delaying perceiving right, it may be too late when you have all you need. And so do on some scale right now, do in some scale what you believe the hero in you would do in the future. Whatever it is that you perceive about yourself, what you will do someday on some scale, do that right now. Stop waiting. The tragedy in in Paris should remind us Another example in this broken world in which we live, that today is the day at hand. Don't put off until later. Right now, be in the process of developing these right perceptions, godly perceptions and godly practices. Faithfully use everything that God has entrusted to you, your time, your talents, your resources, everything. Invest those, use those so that you have more. Not more to keep for yourself, but more to give away. More to use to alleviate the need of others. Begin to work, do the hard work of trying to enter into the reality of another human being. Right now. Be generous now. Be compassionate now. Respect others And give them the dignity that belongs to them as one made in the image of God right now. And when you and I begin to do these things individually and as a church, we will make a difference in this place where God has placed us for Jesus' sake. I'll say this as well. If you are here this morning and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't wait. Truly, don't wait. Don't put it off for a future time. Don't wait to first be the person you think you have to be before you could ever come to Jesus. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anything before you come to Jesus. You just come as you are in faith. Receiving from Him the life that He gives you for what? Free. No deposit required. He's not going to take it back. It's yours to keep. Is that good news? Man, if you haven't done it, that's what you need to do. Trust Christ now. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that your truth this morning will not fall on deaf ears or hard hearts, and I in no way believe that it has. But Lord, it can be difficult for those of us who have all that we need, who, who rarely, if ever, wake up in the morning and wonder where we're going to get food for the day. Or come to the end of the day and wonder where it is we're going to sleep that night. That's not the reality for probably for no one in this room. And so 
Since that is our reality, I pray first that you would cause us to give thanks to you. To truly acknowledge, say, thank you, Lord, for making this the reality of my life. For working all these things together. For giving me all the opportunities that you have given me to, to, to step up in this world and, and, and to have this as a reality. Make us thankful for that. Make us always mindful that everything that we have is from you. And it's on loan to us. You've entrusted it to us. Father, help us to make the most of it. Lord Jesus, you said to us in your word that the poor will always be with you. Maybe the poor are always here, Lord, just to remind us to be generous people. To remind us of the way that you've structured this world, that you give to us and intend us to be funnels of your blessing. and To give to others who are in need. Give us a, a generous, compassionate heart, I pray. And give us wisdom as well, Lord. Show us how to give and where to give and, and when to give. Father, I pray that you would use us to minister to those in need who may have a wrong perspective as well. Who have no intention of using the blessings they receive from others to, 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 to step up. And to use it as an opportunity to, to get on their feet so that they in turn can provide from themselves. And someday even more so that they can become people who give. Such a difficult Reality about our world, Lord, the need that's here and how to approach it. But if you'll give us generous hearts and a spirit of compassion, Lord, I believe we can make a difference in this world for Jesus' sake. Do it in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.